If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a guy who works in sports talks to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. Life on lockdown continues. We are in week something or other of the uh, shelter in place here in Illinois. You know, I do know uh, like a lot of parents of young children and a lot of people in general, uh, we as a society are questioning like, what do we do with our time? (laughs) What do we do with our kids? How do we keep them from uh, having their brains go to mush uh, like that dude in the movie Seven uh, during this this extended period away from school and that kind of stuff? So got the idea to, to bring back somebody who would have tips and great advice for just that. That's right. We are talking to Keith Law of The Athletic, formerly of ESPN. Keith Law is an essential voice in the world of baseball media. You know him for his encyclopedic rankings and ratings of Major League Baseball's minor league system. But if you listen to this show or you read places he writes, like you know his Twitter feed, like his personal blog, like his contributions to Paste Magazine, then you know Keith the way I know Keith, which is as America's board game czar. That's right. This is a man who owns triple-digit board games, who plays them quite a bit, who reviews them for paste, who keeps and and updates a top 100 board games list uh, at all times. So when the you know when the quarantine happened, he was one of the first people that popped in my head. I sent him a note and said, "Hey man, come on back on the show." And he was gracious enough to give me a little bit of time to talk through everything going on in the world of board games from uh, which games have skyrocketed up his list since the last time he came on the show back in 2017 to which games you can play at home, whether you're stuck alone uh, looking for maybe digital or community-based games you can find online to which old school games might you want to dust off with the kids to what are the factors when you can't leave the house that you're looking for in a game. It might be replayability. You know, a game that uh, just feels different every time you're there. He's also trying to give you some more fodder to read uh, if, you, if you like to hunger down with a good book. Uh, he's got a new book, The Inside Game, which is coming out. We talk about that a little bit. That's going to hit bookshelves April 21st. So that's cool. We'll be looking forward to that. So, you know, sit back, listen to Keith, and then afterwards, stick around for distractions. We dial in my old co-host, Gareth Hughes. We're going to talk about our clumsy yet creative ways we are desperately trying to keep our kids entertained during the great quarantine here so uh enjoy that after keith stick around I was playing, I don't know, my wife dug into our cabinet. We pulled out like Pizza Party and all these other board games for the kids. And I just went, I got to do better than what we've got here. So I couldn't think of anyone better to talk to uh, for recommendations. And especially I've got questions later about quarantine specific and like the different types of people that might be looking for different types of games. 
I do sure. want to start by like since we've gone into shelter in place, I have to imagine you're in the best possible house because don't you still own triple digits worth of games at this point? I have two hundred more than <laughs> two hundred and ten at last count. <laughs> um, you know, obviously that's uh, too many. We will, you know, we have jobs like my girlfriend and I are living together now, and we've got three kids who need to have various degrees of homeschooling required and. Um, my girlfriend has essentially two different jobs. She's trying to juggle at the same time. One is full-time and then one is a part-time gig. And then I still have work. Like I'm not working as much as usual because there's no, there are no games to write about, but I'm still writing. I wrote two things this week and one thing last week, and I'm trying to do at least one full piece each week. Um, You know, and more if news sort of drives something different, but I don't want to stop. I certainly don't want to stop writing. I'm sure the athletic yeah. doesn't want me to stop writing. So, yeah, we're you know I look at the game shelf and think, you know, there was this fantasy that I was going to play lots of these during quarantine. <laughs> we'll play some certainly, but lots is an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, how often are you playing? Like uh, here and there? Uh, yeah, it's more here and there. Like uh, we actually haven't picked anything up at all since last weekend because it's just been like go 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 go. Yeah, right. Well, we, we at least we can get into your thoughts for those who who are maybe looking to fill the time. I know personally speaking, I've got two kids, so I'm with you. It's like balancing school versus life versus whatever. But we are reaching that sort of digital fatigue where my wife and I are going, okay, like the iPads cannot raise our kids for two months. We have to get right. more analog here. So l- let me before we get into specific games to recommend during this time. I was fascinated to revisit your top 100 list of all time. By the way, you are the best yep. repeat guest ever because all of your opinions are well organized and logged on your various um, <laughs> sites. It's very, really interesting for me to compare and contrast since you came on in 2017. The biggest thing I wanted to start with was you've got a new favorite game of all time. Seven Wonders has overtaken uh, Carcassonne. Am I pronouncing Carcassonne mm-hmm. right, I believe? Carcassonne, yep. So what was the difference maker there and, and how... How sort of precious are you about that top spot? What's it take for you mentally to sort of allow something to 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 claim it? I try not to get too precious about that. It's not this isn't like the you know the prospect rankings I do or draft rankings I do for used to be for ESPN now it's for the Athletic obviously where you know I recognize that there's real impact within the industry if I say a player is one and not two it's going to at least everybody in the industry is going to read it. Now it's actively going to change everyone's thinking, but it, there's certainly the risk. I've had enough people tell me, you know, agents in particular say, you know, your lists affect the way teams think about players. I don't really want that to be true, but knowing that it might be true, I have to sort of at least um, in my own mind, make, make sure that any significant change in a ranking is sort of well evidenced. Um, I don't have to think that way when it's when I'm ranking things like books or songs or or board games, um, all of which I do on my own uh, on my own blog, and uh, and do for my, for some other sites too. So when I switched them, and all I did was flip one and two, right? Seven right. Wonders had been two, now it's one. Carcassonne had been one, now it's two. It was primarily driven by uh, what am I most likely to take off the shelf. Um, I do love, I still love Carcassonne, but, and maybe I've just played it. Maybe I've just played it too much over the years too. The app, which the iOS app, which is now gone because uh, Coding Monkey's license expired after 10 years, uh, was the best app. It was the still to me the best board game adaptation for digital platforms that I've ever seen. 
Uh, and the Seven Wonders app, by the way, is also really great. But the Carcassonne one was so good, and I just played the heck out of it. And whereas I, I also started to feel like you know, Seven Wonders, Carcassonne has the, the benefit of simplicity and elegance. Seven Wonders is not simple. It is, I would still argue it's elegant. But there are a couple of concepts in there, that, especially for new players, just require a little bit more either playing experience or just a little bit more explanation. Also, the rules to Seven Wonders are kind of really badly written. Um, you you <laughs> kind of have to, that is totally a game you have to play with someone who knows how to play. And then once they show you, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally get it. Look, it, it makes perfect sense once you actually play it. Um, but then, but again, realizing, honestly, the only flaw for Seven Wonders is it doesn't play two people. Everything else about right. that game to me is just perfect. It's perfect. It does lots of things. It scratches lots of itches for a gamer. It's a, uh, you know, resource management and civilization builder where you're barely doing any, like you're not playing with little pieces and they're not collecting stuff. Like everything is just managed very quickly and on the fly. And it has influenced so many other games in the last, whatever, eight, nine years as well that I felt like it, it checks every box I would want to for a game that I would rank at the top of the list, right? It does lots, it plays quickly. The rules are pretty elegant. Um, you just have the, the bit of the slow learning curve. It doesn't play too, but it's incredibly influential. Lots of other games have tried to mimic it in different ways. That's what the top game of all time should should be. And for right. a while, you know what? I, I argued in favor of Catan being higher on my list than it is maybe on Board Game Geek because it does many of those things. It just eventually Catan got to the point. It's like, yeah, I don't pull that off the shelf very much because it's too long um, and a bit slow. Whereas Seven Wonders has none of that. Um, it moves fast as simultaneous play. And it, again, it's just the 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 influence of that game that I've seen now over the last, but the last six years when I've reviewed games professionally for Paste, you see its fingerprints everywhere in the industry. Right. I mean, another another thing that kind of stuck out to me. You already mentioned Catan. Like, I, I think it's a twenty on your twenty nineteen list. Mm -hmm. Do you get like? Do people? come at you for, you know, certain opinions? Like, what, what would you say is your most controversial or hottest take about board games uh, ever? Um, I get a couple. I'll run through them quickly just because I think they're all a little bit interesting. We can stop talk about any of these that you want. Like, there no, are man, I am, I am here for this content, Keith. Okay. So <laughs> people come back to me and say, Catan's too low, to which I just say, you know, I totally get it. Try more games. Like, honestly, just play <laughs> right. more games. I've played... It's got to be well north of 300 different games at this point. Um, and so I think the more you play, the more you recognize Catan is good. But many of the things that were revolutionary when that game came out 25 years ago are not so much so anymore. So I get that one a lot. Um, Gloomhaven comes up all the time uh, because it's number one on Board Game Geek. And its adherents are like uh, – what I get a lot is the um, – uh, am I allowed to be a, a tiny bit profane here? Oh, dude, is it, is green okay? light, my friend. Okay, okay. okay. I get assholes um, <laughs> who are who are like, obviously, you've never played Gloomhaven. <laughs> or even better is the passive, which is like, you know, pa the the you know, putting the passive in passive aggressive. Somebody has never played Gloomhaven. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's not a fucking board game. It's not a board game. I understand it comes in a box. That's a role-playing game. Right. It's 20 pounds. It costs $120. Yeah. 
It has all of the characteristics that you would associate with a role-playing game. They are just in a campaign that is boxed. That's fine. If you like that, great. By all means, buy it. Go back Frosthaven, which is on Kickstarter and doing ridiculous numbers right now as we're recording this. Like, awesome. I am all in favor of people supporting games they love, but that's not a board game. There is no way you would show that to an average person and have them say, that's a board game. (laughs) People who defend Gloomhaven and think it should be on this list. And by the way, I'm just not an RPG guy, particularly not a pen and paper. Like I've played some on the computer. But pen and paper to me, it's just that's just that's not me. That's not my speed. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just not for me. But people who are are adamant that that's a board game should be on board on a board game list, they're out of touch with the fact that to most people who are going to read this stuff, like Catan is on the edge, and they still think of board games as like Monopoly, Risk, and Scrabble, and Clue, and games that I don't even care for, but. You have to remember the baseline. That's where people are coming from, and you have to speak to that audience. Do not for, do not ignore that audience. That's still the majority of people who might come and say, "Hey, suggest a board game to me." That's still the majority of people who come to me, for example, and say, "Can you suggest a board game for me and my partner, me and my kids, for me to play with some friends right. from work?" Like, they're not in the weeds. I'm sure as hell not recommending Gloomhaven to those people. <laughs> um. um so that's, that, those are the the two absolutely the two biggest bits of feedback I get on specific games on the list. The, the one that in your top five that jumped out to me for obvious reasons was Pandemic. Is mm-hmm. it something that you have an appetite to play now as an all time favorite game, or is it just too close to home? Uh, no, I played it actually the last time. <laughs> uh, the last time we got together with anyone before finally just like say you know sheltering in place, um, we got together with two friends. Uh, my girlfriend and I and a work friend of hers, who I also know, and then another friend. Um, and we played twice and we got smoked the first time. We had a <laughs> Trumpian level response, apparently. <laughs> and then the second time, a uh, little bit of a favorable card draw at the start and some cubes being well spread out. And we got out ahead of things and won it actually pretty handily playing on normal mode. I didn't want to dial it up to heroic because I was the only person in the room who played the game more than once. Um, and so I also hung back a bit because for folks who haven't played Pandemic, it's a cooperative game. And the one, and I love it, it's the best cooperative game ever. It is the model, like everyone mimics that game when they're trying to do co-ops. Um, I haven't played Spirit Island. I, re- I own it. I really need to play Spirit Island because um, that's the other one that comes out, that comes up in discussions of the best co-op games. But uh, the problem, the only real problem with playing co-op games is if one person is way more experienced with either the game specifically or co-op games in general, you have that risk of um, uh, one person taking over. Right. Uh, um, and so as a result, uh, you, um, I, what I chose to do that particular day, was uh, that particular night was just... Um, you know, deliberately try to hang back and like give advice, right? But let other people, the other three players, suggest things more because I could sort of see things that, right? It's like playing a little bit like playing chess, where like if you've played a lot of chess, you can visualize the board. I can't do that in chess. I'm terrible. Yeah. But like that's a thing, right? I've played Pandemic so many times live and on the app, which is also really great, um, even though it's basically solo play. Uh, my daughter and I do pass and play on the app quite a bit. Um, but 
you know, that's one where once you've played it a bunch of times, you can definitely tell like this move or these two moves are, are better options than this other set of moves. And so mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I just, and nobody wants nobody wants that one person to be there and be like, well, here's what we should do. Like that's not fun, <laughs> right? And so the first, but although to be honest, the first game, if we had done everything that I thought we should do, we were still going to lose. Like we just, I think, either I didn't have enough strategy or the cards were just too unfavorable, which does hit a little bit close to reality right now, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. For example, we talked last time about um, uh, Carcassonne, and one of the things you loved about it was how replayable it was, because the board kind of changes or takes on new new forms um, every time you play. So what are some re- like heavily replayable games that people might... If, if you have a limited number of, of things in your closet, um, you know it doesn't matter because you could play this one, you know, or these handful, you know, over and over again for as long as we're, we're sort of sheltered here. Yeah, that's, to me, that is the benefit like there are certainly some games that i will go back to that have like a fixed board for example um but games especially when you're playing with kids and this could be younger kids or older kids you know my, my daughter is 13 now and she's played tons of games with me and she still has particular ones she likes to pull out um you do need some replayability and you need a little touch of randomness because you want to equalize the playing field, right? We were playing, we actually played Ticket to Ride First Journey the other night with, um, uh, it was four of us. My girlfriend's younger daughter just sat and played with mom on a team um, and enjoyed it, right? She got to place trains, she got to match colors. She was, she liked that part, but you need to flatten things out because otherwise obviously the adults would run roughshod over the over the kids and even if you're not trying that hard you would still be able to do so and the the real thing that separates ticket to ride first journey from all of the regular ticket to rides is that you're not making so many choices you're just drawing cards randomly all the time and so mm-hmm. it is which which makes sense right it doesn't make it a very good game for adults to play but it gives kids a fair chance to compete because they may just collect the right cards sooner or draw at one point. Uh, my girlfriend's older daughter drew a route card she'd already completed. And that was great because it allowed her to catch up because she wasn't, she was just like, she's still learning the game. Right. And she's, and so that meant that she could catch up to the two players who had already completed one additional route card. It was just luck. And that's great. And so to me, games like that, dice rolling games are particularly good for that. We played, mm. I just played her one-on-one in King of Tokyo and the dice worked in her favor. And, you know, I wasn't trying terribly hard, but still it allowed her to catch up, even though I played the game before she hadn't, I'm an adult, she's not. It worked very much to, to sort of level things out. And I think when you're talking about games for quarantine and you have kids who are younger or just haven't played a lot of games or you're all learning games together games with a higher random element are are much better and games that are often praised for having a low randomness element i always think of puerto rico as a game with very very little randomness at all um scythe is a game i don't even particularly like but people love it because there's basically no luck involved those aren't good for this right those are games you play with a group of people who've probably played the game before and who are experienced gamers and the skill levels are probably all going to be pretty equal from the start. My wife's a super sore loser. Are, are you a gracious or, or, or bad loser, Keith? 
uh, I think I have become a gracious loser <laughs> as I've gotten older. And also, like, I've really learned from, again, having a teenager now who I've been playing games with since she was about four. I have just learned to, I have a different mode of playing where I just dial back. Because I don't like the idea of you just let your kids win. That's that's yeah. not good. You're not actually teaching anybody anything at that point. Um, but instead, I just have sort of this non-aggressive way of playing. I mean, almost like the way that if you've played games on a computer or on a tablet or something, where the, the easy AI just doesn't take as much time to run through possible decisions. And that's kind of how I play it. But what's easy? What's fast? All right, just do that. Okay, yeah, I know I could do X, Y, Z and obviously like wipe the kid off the board. That's not really what we're trying to do here. <laughs> And so to do that, and like, and also I've found that just when playing like that, I don't really keep track of my own score as we play, like I would if I were playing with, um, with my daughter or with other adults. And when you do that, you sort of, there was one, I forgot which one I played with my uh, girlfriend's older daughter. Because um, a lot of these games are really good. She's working on just like some basic arithmetic stuff. And a lot of them are good for that, for just like, there's just lots of adding and subtracting as we go. I don't remember which game it was, but at the end I was like, oh my God, she just like waxed me and I had no idea <laughs> that I was going to lose by whatever, 20 points. It was some wide margin, whatever the game was. So I was like, well, that's actually good. That's a good outcome. Oh, it was Queen Domino. That's what it was. Oh, okay. The game I actually didn't care for anyway because it, it was made the original way more complicated. But at the end, I actually thought I probably had more points and then she was way ahead of me. And I had just, because I hadn't paid attention. Right. How about you mentioned two-player games, lots of couples sheltered in place right now. What's on your short list for something that you think would be good and, and replayable at this time? Jiper is, has been my number one game for two players. And by that, I mean, that is specifically just a two-player game. However, I always include other games like Carcassonne that play two or play more. Uh, Jiper is, to me, is the perfect two-player game because... It's pretty easy to pick up, like to understand how to play. There is absolutely strategy involved, but some randomness too. There's just luck of card draws, um, and you can, uh, and it can be enough to sway a game in one direction or the other. There is a very high degree of interaction. To me, a very key thing in two-player games. If it's just you and one person, you really want the game to be the two of you actually playing against each other, as opposed to sort of side-by-side side solitaire mm. um and jiper particularly is good at that look once you get going a little bit in jiper you realize that there's a back and forth like you have to start thinking for people who haven't seen this game there is there are five cards on display in the market from which you will both sides will be choosing one or more cards and you can start to play it out and think i take this she takes that i take this she has to take those. And suddenly I've created a favorable card draw for myself three, four turns down the road. That's a huge part of the game. Um, and you can still do that and have it not work out because of the randomness of the shuffled deck. But it creates a high, a high degree of interaction. The two of you thinking against each other. Well, how do I put her into a trap? Well, how does she, she's thinking, how do I avoid that and then set a trap of my own? And to me, that's... That's what makes that game really perfect to recommend. It's a small box. It's inexpensive. And the rules are like four pages. It's very, very easy for people to pick up. 
What about like now? It's, we're also seeing just the ultimate like um, disparity in lifestyle for like people like myself who are stuck at home with kids have one set of problems. But uh, I, you know, in my office, for example, I mean, I live in Chicago. Lots of singles that are kind of quarantined in their apartment alone. Um, for folks like that, are there like online communities or certain digital apps that you'd recommend downloading for gameplay against other folks that's that you think is particularly lively and, and, and fun? So I've used, um, I know for sites, there's Board Game Arena, uh, there's Yukata, Y-U-C-A-T-A dot D-E, um, where I've probably played the most on that latter one. I know they've been kind of overwhelmed lately because everyone's home all around the world. That's yeah. a site where more people, there are far more people in Germany using that site. Um, than anywhere else. You don't have to speak German to use the site, but um, <laughs> if you want to talk to other players uh, while you play or, or like participate in the chat rooms there to find games, sometimes it's a little easier if you can at least understand a little German. Board Game Arena is not like that. Brett Spielwelt is almost entirely in German, and I find their client, the, the site client, very difficult to use. Um, but it exists. Um, I know there's a couple others. I've never really had any success like Tabletopia or other sites like that that try to you know do more simulation of how the boards actually look. Um, and then certain apps like Carcassonne, Ticket to Ride, um, the more popular the game, the more lively the online community mm -hmm. just get on and just jump into games, right? So that's those are ones where you can get in and pretty easily find a random game to jump into and play. Um, you know, it, again, it depends on a little bit on how popular the game is, how long the game's been around, too. That's the other thing. Whereas Carcassonne and Ticket to Ride were two of the first. And so they've been very, very successful at building kind of dedicated followings. I managed to try uh, Sagrada just came out a few days ago. I had a, you know, a review code and was playing it essentially early access on Steam. And um, the trying to play there weren't that many games going and there were there just weren't enough people yet right that game the game has to be released and out for a little while and popular enough because gratis it's just an amazing game um it's got to be out for a while to sort of build up the audience for you to be able to like jump on and find random games yeah no I, and and last question before i get into the book I, I imagine a lot of people are like me in that you open up your closet or whatever and you have a lot of old school games that maybe you inherited from your parents or there's been in your house forever I know in your list you you tend to you know favor or, or dive into um, more recent titles, but is there any old school game that maybe people might eye roll at that you would say, hey, at this time this might be a good one to dust off? Um, the only game I own that's older than like Settlers of Catan. Actually, there are two. I know I think of it. One is Acquire, which I think is from the '60s. Uh, the you know tile laying hotel chain building game that um, you know, the original ver I have a very old version from the eighties uh, that is the box is falling apart but the game's intact uh, that to me is the best of the golden age of game you know the original golden age of games you know of that sort of back when you know you if you went to Toys R Us back when it existed you know they might have ten to twenty games total on the shelves. Um, for you know that were it's like games for little kids that to me is probably the one that's best held up diplomacy but you can't you know unless you have seven people in the house you're not playing that one in quarantine <laughs> um you know i it's funny my uh um oh and also i had bought when i was a kid i played stop thief quite a bit with my parents and my sister and 
um, had seen the restoration games update and that drove me to actually go get a used copy of the original. And I still like that game. That game's got problems, many, <laughs> quite, quite a few problems, obviously, but I have a very soft spot for it just for nostalgia. But when my girlfriend, uh, she had some games too, when we, when we started moving together and we we're looking through them and she had clue. And my daughter says, I've never played clue. Oh. And you know, my, I was like, that game's fine. I have no real problem with that game. There are better twists on the same theme, but you know, of the original, it's like, it's not like Monopoly, which just takes forever. Like, you know, in 40 minutes, who's going to win the game. You got to play for another hour and a half to finish it. <laughs> or scrap my issue with Scrabble is Scrabble is not a game. Scrabble is work. If you want to yeah. be good at Scrabble, you have to memorize word lists. Now, if you want to memorize word lists, go for it. But that's not a game. I should not have to do advanced prep like it's the SATs, right? I'm just here to play. Get ready for the Stefan Fatsis uh, tweets coming your way. Oh, uh, he gets on me all the time. <laughs> he and I tweeted at each other lots, and I loved his book, Word Freak. Which yeah. Was a blast. Um, well, speaking actually, of- I believe D.B. Firstman, who appears in that book uh, many times, uh, they now have a book coming out uh, of their own on great names, great baseball names in history. And that might be out or it's coming out very shortly. Great segue. Your book, The Inside Game, coming out April 21st. Um, I imagine lots of fans of baseball who are missing the sport might be wanting to jump on this and just uh, you know, remind themselves of, of the good times. Can you tell us a little bit about what to expect with this one? So this book, uh, The Inside Game, is a bit of a sort of right turn from where I was going after the first book. So, you know, Smart Baseball was entirely a baseball book. The Inside Game is my attempt to try to marry my I see my history of an interest in baseball with a sort of nascent interest in ideas from cognitive psychology and behavioral economics, uh, things that affect all of our decision making and why we are sort of we all humans are kind of consistently irrational in certain ways uh, because of shortcuts that our brains try to use when evaluating all of the information that's coming at us. It seems just as relevant now where we're just getting flooded with information on coronavirus every day as it was when I conceived the book a year and a half ago, just looking at, hey, people just make poor choices. They make poor choices when voting. They make poor choices around their personal finances. They make, they, we just make poor choices all the time. And one, one of the reasons that all of our brains are uh, using these, these shortcuts, these heuristics that sometimes are rational, but often are based in cognitive biases or illusions. And I had the idea to take a book where each chapter would delve into one or two of those cognitive biases or illusions and explain them using baseball stories. And the flip side is, of course, then I'm also using, I'm also using those concepts to explain baseball stories, to say, well, why did Grady Little leave Pedro Martinez in that playoff game in the <laughs> ALCS? You know, why didn't uh, Cleveland trade in the late 90s? Why didn't John Hart, who was Cleveland's GM at the time, trade for Pedro Martinez when you know that might have been the move to put them over the top and give Cleveland a world championship. So walk through a lot of questionable decisions or outright blunders in baseball history and try to uh, explain them using these, these concepts from cognitive psychology so that whichever side you come from, hopefully you're going to learn something from the, from the book. You're going to learn from, uh, you're going to learn about these cognitive psychology concepts because I'm explaining them with baseball, or maybe you understand those already, and I use them to sort of explain the thinking from these baseball stories. Well, why why did this manager or GM or even individual player make this particular bad decision? 
I'll give you the, the the worst decision I ever saw live was I was at game one of the 2008 NLDS between the Cubs and the Dodgers, the year the Cubs, still my favorite Cubs team, even over the one that won the World Series because I watched like 100, 120 games that year. I remember seeing like the Greek Orthodox priest or something like that, like blessing yeah. the field and being like, why are we doing this? <laughs> this why is a doing really this, bad. Right? Yeah. <laughs> embarrassing i know i know hey hey it's okay all is forgiven now keith thank you so much for giving us all this time all these great board game recommendations i'll tell everyone to read you at the athletic uh to follow you on twitter and to check out your reviews on paste uh, are you going to continue to do them during quarantine or are people still sending you games i am i am okay. i actually just got uh santa monica team from aeg from alderac uh publishing That'll be in the queue. I think my next one is going to be Oceans from North Star Games, which is for folks who played their game Evolution. Uh, Oceans is a standalone game, borrows many of the mechanics from the original one. I actually like it better than the original Evolution. Huh. I think it's, uh, um, I think it plays more smoothly. I think it's a little bit faster between turns, uh, but still has a lot of the things that made Evolution good, particularly the the high interactive component where your species, once your species became carnivorous in the original game, it would attack other species, other player species, and maybe sometimes your own species. Oceans brings a lot of that. And I just think it's probably best to say it's more fine-tuned than the original. They've taken clearly taken what they learned from the original and its expansion and built a better version, in a sense, of the original game. Awesome. And truly wishing you nothing but the best, you and your family. I hope you're, you're, you're healthy and well during this uh, stretch, man. Thank you. The same to you as well. Stay safe. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all do interesting things. And then we, the fans, tell them, can you please stop being interesting? Get back to watching game films. You're being a distraction. That is ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate Locker room distractions by telling you what's been distracting us this week. And to do it, when I say we, I am not kidding. We've got the man, the myth, the legend himself, seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer and newly uh, sports Emmy-nominated producer for CBS Sports, Gareth Hughes in our Brooklyn Bureau. Gareth, uh, congrats on the uh, Emmy love. Hey, thanks, man. That was cool. I was nominated for Best Tease for the... Jim Kelly still thankful tease that I directed and produced last Thanksgiving. Um, that was a that was a cool moment. Then it's an honor to be nominated. Let the chips fall where they may. It's also funny that it's happening in a year. There probably won't be a ceremony. So yeah. what are you gonna do? Yeah. And how's your health? Uh, as our listeners know, you are uh, recovering. You are uh on the uptick from uh cancer so how's it well um, you know i'll be treated for cancer for a long time probably um you know it's sort of it's in a weird phase where i I, i'll say this to listeners and i'll update on cancer anytime i'm on the phone because it goes up and down and you know there's the, the the idea is just to keep the disease under control and that's what we've been doing for now. It has been well controlled and I've been healthy. And um, there's a certain amount of treatment that happens these days as opposed to 20, 30 years ago where there's hyperaggression to cut it out and things like that and risk your own health to become cancer free. Where now I think there's a lot more and let's just try to treat this like a chronic condition. And I've celebrated a year now, I guess you could say of having cancer and 
I still feel good and have all my hair and I've gained weight and I walk 10,000 steps a day. And so uh, I'm good. It's just sort of ongoing treatment. Um, if there's any major changes, good or bad, I'll let you know. But for now, it's it's fairly well controlled. And the bigger risk for me right now is honestly Corona. They, uh, our oncology team at Sloan Kettering here in New York, I mean, Sloan Kettering is not admitting any new patients at this point because they are just preparing and or dealing with um, cancer patients who have cancer and corona that then get funneled there from other hospitals in New York City. So they are um, full-time corona cancer uh, besides the patients they already have. So it's kind of a weird moment for that. Um, and my treatment, I mean, I'm going to go in there tomorrow, um, but we're pretty paranoid about Corona right now. And so like people are doing our shopping and I don't go out much and I don't go into places, but um, my biggest area of exposure is going to the hospital. And like our nurses and doctors have admitted that they've said that this is the biggest risk you take in a two to three week period is coming here. And so um, I think most of what treatment is based around now is trying to minimize the amount of time I spend in the hospital for all parties. So that's been interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good thing. This thing's a democratic fueled hoax. So otherwise I'd be pretty worried about your breath. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, we're going to get you, we got to so. print you up a t-shirt that says like the, the chronic logo, like the Dr. Dre chronic logo <laughs> for cancer. Like that's, that's next, you know? I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> all right. So. Well, and look, we make these jokes because you and I talk off mic too, and we're uh, keeping each other sane. But or if you can't joke about cancer, like I would not recommend cancer if you can't joke about it. <laughs> it will take over your life either way. So a finely honed sense of the ridiculousness of a finely honed sense of the ridiculous helps in your treatment. So I had Keith Law back on the show. You remember when Keith joined the first time to talk about board games? He is America's board game czar. Um, so it's a good transition to talk about our distraction this week, which is stuff we're doing with our families in terms of trying to stay sane, keep the kids off of devices full time, that kind of stuff. Um, you said that you would launch an art project of sorts. I've got one in my garage. We can break down quickly. Tell me about yours first. Well, yours is so much better than mine, and I love it. But uh, And I've seen it, and so I, I, I'm really excited for you to talk about it. But ours is... Basically, it was funny. Somebody said, like, what are you spending money on? And we were like, nothing. Except, like, was, we were like, we buy nothing but um, food, basically. And then I was like, oh, wait. The other thing I have been spending money on is Legos. And basically, we're building a Lego city um, based off all the old sets my kids had gotten through the years. Like, we got out all the old instructions and rebuilt them. And then I've bought a couple others that have shipped here through Amazon. So that's what we have going on in our apartment. And we have a couple like sitting to the side. Like I bought one big extravagant Lego, which is I spent a couple hundred dollars on a giant Lego movie theater. And so that's going to be at the center of our city because Brad, if you want to make fun of me for being excessively woke brooklyn guy i hated the idea of the center of our lego city being something based around police and the <laughs> incarceral police state come on, so come on. yeah true. Lego I, it's police, 100% true. 
Yeah, so I bought a movie theater, so that would be the center of our city rather than a police station. And we're going to lay out the whole thing as it goes along. But yeah, we have we have quite the Lego city going with, you know, and I think now it's starting to get a little more out there where, look, we live in New York, Spider-Man's in New York, we have some Spider-Man sets. So we're trying to incorporate Spider-Man tastefully into our Lego city without it totally becoming a, um, you know, nouveau Lego pop culture fiasco. So there you so go. So you're, you're cracking down on police state, not cracking down on uh, masked vigilantes. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Yes, that is 100% accurate. Picking so. and choosing, bro. Um, yes. Well, okay, let me ask you this, because actually I was talking to my older daughter about doing some Legos. Now, we are woefully uh, out of... Legos. We just don't have Legos here because I have a three-year-old and we just didn't want to mm-hmm. build sets on the carpet where she's putting them in her mouth and stuff. But I'm finally to the point where I was going to try and buy some sets. Where do you get the stuff? Because I was having a really hard time finding anything good that wasn't like some sort of 500-hour collector set, which I'm not doing. That's um, a problem. I, that is one problem I'm running into with Lego right now. And like, like I don't know. First of all, when we grew up, it was space pirate castle town like i mean like it was very simple and now i hate to be like when we grew up back in the day whatever now there's so much pop culture stuff in like movie tie-ins that's cool but like i don't know there's a lot of lego that's dedicated to like a 500 hundred dollar ghostbusters set which like i would love to build the ghostbusters firehouse but i also don't want to become like I don't know, pop culture toy guy. Like that's a <laughs> that's a bridge to cross, man. <laughs> like it is. Where you you're know? like, don't take it out of the box. Don't take it out of the box. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so like, I don't want to buy anything that we can't build. And um, and so yeah. So basically, what we've been trying to do is a, like I said, we had gotten a bunch of Legos throughout the years and Lego sets. So we're rebuilding all the old ones and then finding cheaper city things that we can incorporate into this through Amazon, eBay, whatever. Um, I mean, it's a, it was a lot easier when they were like toy stores around and you could get like this started because the kids got a few good sets for birthdays and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So like it began organically and then, you know, the coronavirus hit, we were like, well, let's rebuild some of this stuff. And then all of a sudden you have a chunk of a city beginning. It's like, all right, well, let's get started on this. But we're also in a one or a two bedroom apartment. We're not going to be able to have like, and this is the basement I've dedicated to my Lego city. Like we're going to build this. And then when Corona ends and, or we decide the city is over, we're going to take it apart. And then we're going to, I think what we're going to do is kind of be smart about the sets and put them back in plastic bags with their instructions. So if we ever wanted to rebuild these, we could. Um, I've been dabbling with the idea of like trying to build something offset on our own, but we don't have enough, just, we don't have enough like raw Lego pieces. You know what I mean? You have so many that are like, this goes with this set, this goes yeah. with that set. So you don't have enough just like, bricks you know what i mean and so basically if you for what you're saying is i think if people start buying your daughter's legos in the next few years and you're hitting the age where they're well primed for it 
then you'll be able to build a bunch. But if if you, I don't know, if they skip that or some if like you don't go in that direction, I find I think it would be hard to get into just because of some of the costs. I mean, like that the movie theater was 200 and change. I mean, like I spent money on that, but I was also like this has like thousands of pieces and we're trapped inside indefinitely. <laughs> so right. like if this takes the kids an entire weekend, that is worth spending a couple Done. hundred dollars on. Yeah, exactly. Done. But at the, at, this, at the same time, I can't bring myself to your point to spend that on like, kids, it's the Millennium Falcon or like it's the upside <laughs> down from Stranger Things. Like those are not toys for my children. Like my kids can get into a movie theater. My kids are, if I buy the upside down, that's for me. And then to your point, I have become... Um, pop culture toy guy and i don't want that so yeah <laughs> well mine uh it, i mean i love your the lego stuff. your your distraction is awesome and i i cannot wait to hear about this so when my wife went to italy back when you could do things like go to italy um <laughs> last fall i like redid our garage and i got a lot of snarky people being like oh you you cleaned it and i'm like no i like literally tore down shelving off the walls repainted the entire thing, redid like cabinets and stuff, resalvaged cabinets, put up all new shelving. And I decided to make one wall um, like a mural that uh, mm-hmm. we could then, you know, it's a rainy day or it's winter. It's just like, hey, let's go out and paint in the mural and get creative. And I figured the girls could like, um, you know, have some fun with that. And then I just kind of lost my fucking mind and started just, you know, I'd be like, it's like 1030. My wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just going out to finish this Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> like, uh, or I'm going to try to draw a spooky old tree. But it has been cool because what I do is I draw. For, here's what I do mostly. I draw like the outlines of like a character um, that my kids like. And then they come in, they paint. And then I go through OCD hell as they're like, don't keep in the lines. Don't uh-huh. keep it straight, uh-huh. whatever. And then I come back and like redraw over it and do some touch-ups or whatever. But it's been really fun because we've kind of created this entire scene. And it, it includes all these different characters, whether it's Sesame Street or Powerpuff Girls or Frozen or Disney, uh, that, that, my, that my girls liked growing up. So it's a little bit of like a pop culture time capsule for them, as well as just some shit to do that's not watching tv and so i highly recommend mm-hmm. it if you've got a garage wall and gareth I, I understand this is like a needless flex on you as i'm like talking about <laughs> going to the garage i'm sorry uh, but yeah. if you've got a garage wall it's a really good thing to do with them to uh like just turn it into sort of an artistic uh, uh project that you can just kind of get to whenever you have some like a down hour or something like that well so i've been watching it as it's going along and first of all i salute you on the ocd thing i mean not to get exactly like from the Lego movie, but like the other day I saw Wiley just like playing make believe in the Lego city. And I was just like, this is awesome. And I also have to step back and let him destroy this if he wants to, like, (laughs) you know? And so like, how have you handled that? Because like, you've put a lot of time and care obviously into this mural, but I think part of what you then have to do is just then totally cede control to your kids. Like, how do you, how is that, man? That's mm, tough. I seed control the way Trump handles a press conference. Like I intro <laughs> some people into the mix, but at this, I wave them off when I want to like get back on my own message. <laughs> Got it. Got like it. I, what I'll do is I'll kind of say, "Hey, come on, do this." 
actually what totally seating control would be like here's a brush here's paints go do whatever you want um we did that at first but then the kids would get frustrated because i actually have learned about myself i'm actually a pretty good like doodle artist if i can cop if i get to look at something and then like replicate it in pen or pencil if you give me enough time and it's just like a simple Mm. like cartoon character i can draw a good mickey mouse i can draw a good homer simpson i can draw a good you know whatever my older daughter would get frustrated because she would go to paint and then i would put something up there and mine would look like more like what it looks like because she's only six and then she'd get Mm. discouraged so what I do now is I draw the outlines for them and then they can just sort of fill it in and then I'll re-go over it again with like a black kind of paint pen to you know just to make sure but so they're outside the lines but you still get a sense of the character and then they feel really excited that they've done it so well and I also think this is one thing like kids want to work on their own and be independent and I think there's something cool about parents who are like yeah look at this thing and it kind of ended up looking like a messy pile but my kid did it all on their own but you also run into a thing where kids can get really frustrated to the point of upset that then what right. they've made doesn't look like Winnie the Pooh or Mickey Mouse or whatever it is you're trying to draw so i do think there's a balance there in like letting them work independently on the one hand but on the other hand like having it turn out like it's sort of supposed to so yeah and i mean you know like you said it's it's half for them half for us <laughs> especially yeah, in the yeah, in the yeah. great in the great quarantine or the great isolation whatever this is like it's just you know i would just say this if you're sitting at home and you're getting extra frustrated i and i i will say if you got the luxury of being working remotely and being at home and being on lockdown take a basement wall uh you know set up a table somewhere like you said like do a garage wall do whatever i, I just think now is the time to be having fun with your house in a way that makes it makes your kids feel a little bit more ownership over it. And it's not the time to be like, well, I don't want to reduce the property values of my basement. Like, bro, that that white paint, that semi gloss is gonna be there to paint yeah. over this. Yeah. In Come on, man. Five years. <laughs> anyway, well, that's our distractions for this week. Garrett, you're gonna rejoin us next week. We're gonna break down top live sports moments that we've been to personally. I'm excited for this. Um, and I'm gonna end real quick with some shout outs. Shout out Keith Law, the board games are bringing us hey. back. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I have to say the other thing we've been doing a lot of as a family, and it's a class we've been playing a lot of sorry as a family. And like, I know Keith Law works in a more sophisticated world of board games, and I like a lot of other games, but man, I do have to say, sorry is as good as a, a family board game gets. So, oh, Keith Law that's hates my it. Two- Really? <laughs> Listen to the interview because he he doesn't like games that are just sort of like chance that like like Candyland and stuff where it's like hey and now I'm just all the way back at the beginning for no reason. Got it. Okay. <laughs> hey. Well, anyway, I look to that. shout out Keith Law. Thanks for coming back on the board games are great recommendations. Uh, go check out some of his stuff. Buy his new book. It's coming out. I really uh, support all the authors who had you know books right now and they're canceling their book tours people are hunkering down but it's a good time to like get an ebook copy of it get a copy delivered from amazon and uh and gareth we'll we'll talk to you next week in the immortal words of our friend and rapper extraordinaire shaquille o'neal booty rappers stay booty <laughs>